Welcome to Civilly Speaking with host Sean Harris. Each month, Civilly Speaking brings you interviews on practical and timely legal issues on the local and national level. We hope you enjoy today's show. Today's podcast is brought to you by NFP Structured Settlements. NFP Structured Settlements is pleased to be a diamond sponsor for the Ohio Association for Justice for the past 10 years. NFP is your trusted advisor and partner in all aspects of case settlement planning, including structured settlements and trust services. For more information, visit nfpstructures.com. NFP, passionate advocates, proven approach. Hello, I'm Sean Harris, and this is episode 58 of Civilly Speaking, brought to you by the Ohio Association for Justice. Today is May 21st, and I'm here with our guest and our very own Director of Government Affairs, Brad Ingram. Brad, thanks very much for joining us here on Civilly Speaking. Thanks for having me. As uh, maybe a first point, uh, all our members may not know you yet. Let's get a little uh, background on you and how you got to OAJ. Thanks, Sean. I'm glad to be here. I started with OAJ back in December. John Van Dorn and I had a month overlap, which was awesome. I got to learn from uh, someone who I have respected and known for years. And John was a, a great advocate for the OAJ for 10 years. And so it's an honor to come um, and follow in his footsteps. Um, but before I was here, I, I spent about five and a half years at the Department of Education, the Ohio Department of Education, where I was the legislative liaison or, or lobbyist for the department. And a lot of people ask, well, why does a, why does a state agency have a lobbyist? And that um, kind of speaks to exactly what I think lobbyists do and what I, I think I hope I do for the OAJ is to translate what the agency does into legislator and then translate what legislators do into the association or the department. Um, and so I spent a long time doing that, um, working in the education space. All my family are teachers, and so it was a very comfortable space for me. But when this job opened up, I, I thought that it would be a really fun and interesting and challenging position. So I had a, a great time meeting everybody as we went through the interview process, and it, it's been a fun start. And before you were with the Department of Education, you were actually at the State House. Yeah, so um, I spent a couple years lobbying as a, a young independent lobbyist for a, a small firm, but I spent about five years working for a state representative and state senator. We worked on the Finance Committee. We worked through a, a Public Utilities Committee. One of my first bills I ever worked on was the payday lending reform bill of 10 years ago when there was a whole statewide issue on that. So I've done a lot of of different work, but uh, most of my time has spent working for Republicans in the, in the General Assembly. So how does working for the Department of Education prepare you to work for the trial lawyers? <laughs> it, has, it was, frankly, a fantastic training because at the department, we were dealing with high-profile issues that many, many people cared about um, that were constantly on the front page of newspapers um, and so I, I spent time learning and understanding how legislators view these important pieces of legislation. It, it's also um, communication. How do we um, 
communicate these very technical issues in very normal person speak. In education land, it's all about tests and assessments and formative and um, evaluations. And here, it's we have to we have a whole new uh, language that I'm learning with trials and civil justice versus civil rights. So many people in my world confuse those two. And so we have to talk about what that means. And uh, just figuring out those precise ways of of talking about our policy in a way that non-lawyers can understand, because the vast majority of um, legislators are neither educators nor attorneys. And so understanding how to, how to have those connections and make those, build those relationships and have those conversations has been really important. All the more important these days, I think the number of, or at least the percentage of uh, legislators that are also lawyers is, is down. Absolutely. It used to be very, very common. Lawyers have a, 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 an obvious interest in the law. Their professions and firms generally like them to be engaged. Um, but since it has, it has reduced, we're losing a couple of attorneys in the um, Senate this, after this year, but we've got, we've got a couple more that I think are, are really great for the association and really understand our issues. Not all, always with us, but willing to communicate with us. Same thing in the House. We've got a couple of young attorney legislators over there that are, are just fantastic people um, and understand our, our, our space. So um, I think that we have a really, great, a, a really great base of legislators for the OAJ to, to build relationships with and communicate with. Speaking of legislators and legislation, um, we, we're sitting here today on May 21st. Obviously, mm-hmm. the hot topic is immunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fast-paced, fast-changing bill, and so w- whenever this podcast comes out, this may be out of date. Mm-hmm. But where does immunity for COVID-19-related activities stand currently? So what a time to start with an organization. <laughs> Uh, four months after beginning with the OAJ, we got the pandemic and get the uh, one of the bigger, uh, effectively tort reform efforts um, that we've seen in the state in a little bit. Couched as immunity, um, these bills have started in a place where it was ve- they were very broad sweeping and um, extended periods of time, uh, or four extended periods of time. And so we are... I, I think it's fair to say that we are pleased with the progress of the bills, but that does not necessarily mean that we are pleased with the bills. They're moving in the right direction, but we acknowledge from the very beginning that we do not appreciate or agree with immunity. And so we have to balance that. We have to keep our relationships by understanding where legislators are coming from with the bill, while actively, thoughtfully, and rationally talking through the impacts of the bill and why we have a different opinion than, um, than the sponsors. And so we've made some progress. Uh, we just had the second sub-bills released. Um, a sub-bill is a kind of a new working document. And so both the House and the Senate bills are um, better than they were when they were introduced. And it it is a it, this process is made all the more unique that there are very very similar bills in both chambers 
And so in order for um, one to pass, you can only have one to pass. And so it'll be interesting how relationships and how the, the people in power, all the Republicans, frankly, decide which bill, if any, actually gets to the governor's desk. And the General Assembly is undoubtedly uh, red, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps scarlet red. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about OAJ's relationships with uh, Republican friends in the legislature. Absolutely. The House has 60, 61 um, Republican members, so nearly a supermajority. The Senate has 24 of 33 Republican members, so m- uh, more than a supermajority. And so you cannot be successful in the legislature by being part of one party or another, especially right now being um, so entrenchedly Democrat. But I don't think the OAJ's message is Republican nor Democrat. I think that the OAJ's message, and one of the reasons why I, I was so excited about this position, was that it is very firmly pro-Seventh Amendment. We want, the, we want juries who are constitutionally identified to decide cases, and we want people to have access to those juries. And that's not really controversial. That's a, that's a nonpartisan issue. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we are um, we're building relationships with, with members of both sides of the aisle. I've had great phone conversations just in the last 24 hours with Republicans and Democrats. And we are doing this in a way that we have friends on both sides of the aisle. What other uh, bills are, are percolating now through the le- legislature that our members would be interested in? So House Bill 81 actually just passed on the Senate floor yesterday. So um, it's a House bill, so it just, it just got through a major hurdle. House Bill 81 is um, the, what I affectionately call the BWC reforms that everybody likes. So it's very rare for the OAJ, the Ohio Chamber, and um, the unions to all agree what? on a bill. And um, House Bill 81 makes some important and very good changes to BWC laws. Um, and so I expect that to get to the governor in the next um, few weeks. Wow. Um, so really great to see that. Um, House Bill 421 um, just passed the um, House floor last week. This is a bill that was originally trying to figure out how hospitals and municipal police departments or or local police departments understand or apportion their liability in certain cases. But we were able to work with the Republican and and Democrat co-sponsors of the bill to really focus that bill's intent, but also we were able to work with them to get an amendment um, included in the bill to better define um, sovereign immunity when it comes to emergency calls. And so what, turned out, what started as a bill that looked like an immunity bill um, is now an, an opportunity to clarify when immunity happens. Um, and so we're really— When it happens and when it doesn't. Well, yeah, true. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that we are, we've made great progress with that. And that was an amendment that was actually sponsored by Republican Representative Hillier and Republican Representative Jim Butler, who's the House 
uh, Speaker Pro Tem, but it's effectively based on a Democrat bill, House Bill 21, by Representative Ingram, not related. Um, so it, it is a another one of these unique opportunities where Republicans and Democrats are on the same page about limiting government and limiting immunity. And so we're seeing that'll get to the Senate here in the next few weeks and, and hopefully have a chance to pass here in the fall. And perhaps not uh, coincidentally, Hillier and Butler, both lawyers. Yes, exactly. So um, we've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of good opportunities and a lot of good successes this year. Hoping to continue that. Got to get through this immunity hurdle. But there, there are bills that we're working on every day. So if members have um, questions about legislation or are particularly interested in one bill or another, I hope they feel comfortable uh, emailing or calling me anytime. You know, just to give folks a flavor of some of the uh, silliness that you uh, deal with, can you, down at the State House, can you talk to us about House Bill 496? So, House Bill 496 is beekeeper immunity. And um, this is a bill that's on its, I think, second or third General Assembly, because bills have to be reintroduced every General Assembly. And it passed the House uh, last year. Last General Assembly, it was reintroduced this time, was set to pass last week. But then our um, legislative chair, Curtis Fifner, actually got up and testified and um, got and um, was able to, I think, spark some questions in some members about why this bill is necessary. Because apparently the last time anybody had a successful lawsuit about bee stings, uh, bee sting liability, was in 1925 um, when a farmer's horse uh, was killed. Yeah. And that person sought, sought uh, damages from the beekeeper owner in 1925. Yeah, I was concerned that if this bill went through, that would really, really knock out that area of practice for many of our members. <laughs> so, you know, it is one of those things that I understand the the beekeepers, the apiaria, uh, apius. Okay beekeepers sure who are doing the state a great service by bringing the beekeeping popular or bee population back um but what we have seen um and what i'm sure our members haven't experienced are a bunch of lawsuits about bee uh, about bee stings so it, we're trying to remind members or legislators that it just isn't necessary and it should not be a fear of beekeepers I, I have folks ask me all the time, and I'm sure you do too, when it comes to uh, legislation, how can our members get involved? How can they help the process? It's a great question. And I, one, one reason I, lo- I love this association so much is how active and engaged members are. They're thoughtful about legislation. They, they read the news. They, they read legislation. And they comment on it. And so the best thing that I can I can request of members is if you hear about a bill, read it and let me know. Tell me what you think. Um, let's have a conversation about it to see if there's any anywhere that bill can go. If you're particularly passionate about the issue and would like to testify on the bill, I, I'm happy to support that opportunity and connect you with either your legislator to talk about it or the chairman to schedule a testimony. If you have a particular area uh, that can do, re- and you have a lot of research on it, research is exceptionally helpful. Um, there's there's only one of me and one of Curtis. Um, we have a great legislative team um, uh, committee, but 
we need le- we need members to share their research and background on on every or any given issue. If you know what other states are doing, that can be very powerful. If you know what other states' laws are better than ours that you want to bring into Ohio, let me know. If there are small tweaks to, to law that are um, impacting your practice, those are, are also really helpful. So just keep the, keep the conversation going. I, I, I really like talking to members. I really like building relationships with, with the trial attorneys in our community. And so just give me a call. Send me an email. Write an article, whatever you want to do. Just, um, just get it to me and I'll, I'll read it and we can have a good conversation. Well, and speaking of relationships, um, there's hardly anything less important than uh, members getting to know and having relationships with legislators. Absolutely. How important is that? Oh, it's critical. Um, if if you have that personal connection to your legislator, whether you served on a board with them, if you were their attorney, um, those kind of things are really helpful because they... they you're a constituent of theirs. And legislators know me as the guy from the OAJ, and, and they can take that with a grain of salt. But when a constituent comes up and says, I have a problem, usually the legislator listens. And so build those relationships with your legislators. Um, if you don't know who they are, let me know. I'm happy to connect you with them. If you are particularly passionate about politics, get involved with your local or county um, Republican or Democrat party, and inevitably you'll meet your county commissioners and your state legislators who are who are engaged in these laws and rules. And so you can build things that way. Go to fundraisers if you're that if you're that committed, Republican or Democrat. And we, I, I am happy to support and help you build those relationships. And and inevitably that those relationships will help the association. At some point on some issue, right? I mean, that's always, uh, they may not be with us on 100% of the issues, but having that relationship so that we can at least have the conversation is what's so important. Absolutely. Even if, I I think most legislators understand that they're never going to be with their constituents 100% because you're never with anybody. I'm not, my wife and I aren't on the same page on every (laughs) issue all the time. And so it's okay for you to have differences of opinions as long as you don't hold them um, personally responsible for all of those opinions. And so having the conversation and leaving it there, it it will – a conversation does impact people. I mean, that's why it's called civilly speaking, right? So we can have these important civil conversations. I mean, for so many levels, this podcast works. So, yeah, especially who would have thought that – You'd have need to have a conversation about beekeepers with that legislator or workers' compensation issues or any number of things that we work through um, in the legislature. Just this week, a, a member reached out to me and said, you know, on these immunity bills, I've got um, I've heard from some potential clients about this and this and this. Who can I talk to about that? Oh, do you have a relationship with your legislator? Yes. Then let's let's figure out how to ha- how to support that conversation to to see where that goes, so that 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 legislator knows exactly why we're fighting for this. And so the more I hear about those relationships, or just have it, if if members have them of their own accord, awesome. Brad, this was awesome. Thanks very much for joining us here on Civilly Speaking. Thank you for having me, Sean. And thanks to all our listeners out there. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out civillyspeaking.com. 
And please leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next episode of Civilly Speaking.